All right, welcome in. It is the debut edition of Couch Potato Diary. I am Peter Klein. Thank you so much for downloading. Quick shout out off the top, the music that you're listening to provided by Wasted Talent, the song The Old Me. You can follow them on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Wasted is spelled like you would think, except instead of an A, there's an X. So W-X-S-T-E-D-T-X-L-E-N-T. Follow them on Instagram and Facebook with that Wasted Talent and follow them on Twitter at wasted underscore talent. Also, their producer is at Tommy Fresh Music on Instagram. So here we are. It is a fight week, an important fight week. The the schedule for Couch Potato Diary. We're gonna go Monday and Wednesday for sure. On big fight weeks like this, we're gonna have a weekend preview on the Friday. Otherwise, we're going to do a fight specific show on Thursday, because your boy wants long weekends when there aren't big fights going on. We have a few special things planned for these kind of fight preview shows. Couldn't quite get it all lined up for the first week, but this is a big fight card this weekend, so do want to get this one out to all of you. Again, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, at PrimetimeKlein. For post-fight coverage, looking to do some stuff on Twitch, but that will be kind of tweeted out day of. Is kind of flying by the seat of my pants as we figure this out in what is a new venture for me. So let's get right into it. UFC 261, the weigh-ins are completed and everything is fine. With this crazy sport, you never do really know how that's all going to play out. So I do just want to kind of off the top say that we are recording this, or I am recording this. I don't know why I say we. It is uh, I, I am your producer today as well. But recording this at 12.50 on Friday of Fight Week. So if something happens in the next 12 to 14 hours... Uh, sorry, I, I could not predict it. Also, going to be talking about some of the odds, and if there is gigantic line swings Saturday morning, and you're wondering why I didn't cover them, it's because that has not happened yet. So let's get right into it. On the prelims, it'll be Nalion taking on Arian Carnalasi in the women's strawweight division. Carnalasi, 28 years old, standing at five foot two from Sao Paulo, Brazil, comes in with a record of 12 and two. Eight of those wins by knockout, an additional one by submission. Her losses coming both by finish. Uh, she lost by knockout and once by submission. That knockout loss coming in her last fight at Ultimate Fight Night on September 21st, 2019 against Angela Hill. That was her UFC debut. It snaps a 12-fight winning streak. Nine of those were by finish. She takes on promotional newcomer Na, the Dragon Girl Leon, 24 years old, born in China. You will hear that a few times tonight as this is a card that is certainly going to be promoted heavily in that area of the world. 13-4 and four is the record. 11 of those are finishes. 7 of those are submissions, that being the wins. The losses, she's been finished in 3 out of 4, 2 by submission and 1 by knockout. Her last bout that gets her a spot in the UFC tonight, a submission win in the first round of WLF Wars 50 back on January 14th of this year. She is riding a four-fight winning streak. She's finished all of them. We have seen her in a major promotion before as she lost in Bellator in 2017. But again, this will be her professional debut as, or her, sorry, her UFC debut. Her professional debut came in 2016. Opened as a plus 130 underdog. Now seeing some spots, it's hovering right around 175, 180. Looks like if you fancy your Yourself a knob better this evening. The best spot to be getting that at would be betonline.ag. Right now, she is at plus 183 on that site. 
admittedly not a lot to go on on either of these. The WLF videos on YouTube, there are certainly some of them, but it's tough to get a, a real glimpse into this one. So it's tough to get a, a real perspective on it. The odds makers seem to favor the fighter who has one fight in the octagon. I will go with that one, but probably one that I'm going away from. And probably one that this is just about... Let's just see what these two can do, and maybe we'll get 15 minutes worth of tape on both of them as they step into the octagon. And the next bout in the flyweight division, it is Keelang Aori taking on Je uh, Jeffrey Molina in the flyweight division. Molina, 23 years old, born in Kansas. He stands at five foot six and trains at Glory MMA and Fitness. Comes in with an eight and two record. He has stopped seven of those eight victories, four by submission, one submission loss, the other coming by way of decision. This will technically be his first proper UFC fight as his last bout was on on Dana White's Contender Series back in August of last year. It was a decision win over Jacob Silva. That was the first decision of his career, entering this one on a seven-fight win streak after starting his pro career in 2017 at one and two. Aori, 27 years old, standing five foot seven, born in China at six or uh, 18 and six. Sorry, five knockouts, two submission wins. Three of his losses have come by way. Of submission. This will be also his UFC debut, his last bout coming at the beginning of last year at WLF Wars 41. He won by second round knockout. As mentioned before, not a ton of finishes when you look at 18 professional wins, only seven finishes, but he has four finishes on his six fight win streak. Uh, he's won 10 of his last 11, and this one essentially a pick 'em on most sites. Once again, kind of the best odds if you're looking at getting any kind of underdog price would be on Aori at plus 103 from betonline.ag. And another one where there's just not a lot of tape to go off of on either of these guys, but both coming in with quite a bit of momentum. This is another one just interested to see a little bit of what these guys can offer on those prelims. We carry on in the lightweight division as Kazula Vargas takes on Rong Zhu. Vargas, 35 years old, born in Mexico City, Mexico, standing at five foot seven, comes in with an 11 and four record, seven wins by knockout, three of them by submission, uh, one submission loss and one disqualification loss. That came in his last fight. That was his second straight loss. He is 0-2 in the Ultimate Fighting Championship after winning 7 of 8 pre-UFC. He's been a pro since 2011. Zhu, 21 years old, at 5'1", born in China, 17-3 for the career. 11 wins by knockout, 4 by submission. All three of his losses have come by way of submission. He has not experienced defeat in a while, a 10-fight win streak heading into his UFC debut. He's finished all but one. His last fight at WLF Wars 50, January 14th of this year, a third-round knockout. He's won 14 of his last 15, already 20 professional fights, and he's been a pro since 2016. It certainly seems like he is on a roll. Vargas kind of has the feel of, I don't want to say sacrificial lamb, but... You are in the Brooklyn Brawler spot tonight, sir, where it, it does kind of seem like he is here to make the 21-year-old from China look good on a fight that is, or a fight card, sorry, that is going to be focused on rather heavily in China. The betting odds would back that up as Zhu is anywhere from 225 to, um, sorry, minus 225 to minus 260 favorite. Vargas, 
you can get some pretty good odds on him. Seeing anything from plus one knee, uh, plus one ninety, sorry, to plus two twenty. That plus two twenty coming at Westgate in Vegas. So. A lot of people going with Zhu, I would go with the favorite in this bout this evening. The last on the Fight Pass prelims, the main event on that streaming platform, if you will, is in the Bantamweight division. Donna Batgirl taking on Kevin Natvidad, again in the Bantamweight division. Batgirl, 31 years old, at 5'8", born in Mongolia. He comes in with a record of 8-2, six of those by stoppage, four of those by knockout, two decision losses, coming off of a win at UFC 248 back on March 7th of last year. That was a win in the first round by knockout. That was his first UFC win after a loss in his debut. He has finished his last Five victories, three of those coming in the first round. For Natividad, he is 28 years old, born in Arizona, training at Arizona Combat Sports, 9-2 for the career. Six of those are stoppages, with five of them coming by knockout. Both of his losses coming by way of knockout as well, and that trend was bolstered by a knockout loss in his last fight, Ultimate Fight Night 181, back on Halloween of 2020. That was his UFC debut and snapped a five-fight win streak that saw him finish all five opponents. Interested to see this one, as, uh, again, you have Batgirl coming in off of a win. Natividad is not, and the, again, odds backing that up, he is the favorite coming into this one tonight. The best odds you can get him at are plus 170. Batgirl coming in around minus 190. We've seen most of the movement going towards his side. As people impressed by the last time we saw him in the octagon, and I would fancy myself one of those folks. To the televised portion of the evening, as Patrick Sabatini takes on Tristan Connolly in the featherweight division. Interesting story from Connolly, the Canadian, 35 years old, trains at Ryan's MMA. He is born in Victoria, BC. 14 and 6, 4 knockouts, 9 submission wins, 1 knockout, and 1 submission loss in his 20 fight career. His last bout, a unanimous decision win over Michel Pereira back on September 14th of 2019, was his UFC debut and continues a 5 fight winning streak. And you would hear that and you would think, all right, this is a guy who is looking to build off of that momentum. Why have we not seen him in a long time? He had a fight scheduled for April. That gets called off because of COVID. And then he starts to experience neck pain. This is someone who was in a pretty serious car accident a while ago, was starting to notice some neck issues from that, went to the doctor, and they, uh, the MMA junkie story said that he basically said the doctors were like, oh, uh, so your neck, rather important part of your body, basically Swiss cheese, we need to operate on it immediately. There was a more... I guess, advanced surgery that he could have selected for. Instead, he goes with surgery to get an artificial disc. It is a much quicker return, and that return happens tonight. So an interesting story. The other interesting part, this is a fight in the featherweight division. That is not where Connolly has traditionally spent a lot of his time. He is moving down two weight classes. The MMA junkie story on this one said that a lot of his training partners are around that weight, so he wanted to get to that weight anyway, but couldn't really do that because you're constantly in fight camp mode. You, you don't really have time for a drastic weight change, but when you're recovering from neck surgery, nothing but time. 
And so he is moving down a couple of weight classes tonight. This is a guy who Canadian MMA fans are going to be very familiar with. He fought for Rise FC, Unified FC, Elite One MMA, Zed Promotions, Battlefield, Fight League, and AFC. So a lot of experience fighting up here north of the border. But again... Not at featherweight. He takes on Patrick Sabatini, 30 years old, born in Pennsylvania, USA. 13-3 for the career. 11 finishes, 9 of them coming by way of submission. He has been stopped just once in his MMA career. His last bout came right at the tail end of 2020 in Cage Fury Fighting Championships, a second round submission win. He's won five of his last six, two in a row, his only loss in that stretch coming by way of arm injury. He is making his UFC debut this weekend, and this is one I have literally no read on. You have a fighter who is coming off of a year and a half layoff, moving down two weight classes against the guy who is making his promotional debut. It is very tough to handicap it. You can't even get odds on this one at a couple of places in Vegas. Caesars Palace and Westgate have just decided to go, uh, thanks but no thanks. A few other establishments going that way as well. For those of you who are into uh, more of the online atmosphere, you can find Connolly sitting at anywhere between plus 175 and plus 227 as an underdog. That 227 coming from betonline.ag. Sabatini opened as a bit of an underdog, but a lot of movement coming in on him. The best odds for him would be provided by Betway. Again, all these odds subject to change, but this is just what I'm looking at here now after 1 o'clock on Friday. This is one I have absolutely no read on whatsoever. There are so many variables that th this is, from a financial standpoint, I would say a stay away for me. But I'm excited to see how the Canadian handles this spotlight and how the Canadian it handles coming off of neck surgery. So a, a lot of interesting tidbits from that one going into the bout tomorrow. Carl Roberson takes on Brendan Allen in the middleweight division. Roberson, 30 years old, standing at six foot one with a 74-inch reach. Born in New Jersey, he trains at the Killer B Combat Sports Academy. Nine and three for the career, four submission wins, two by knockout, and he has been submitted in all three of his losses, including UFC on ESPN from June 13th, 2020, where he lost in the first round by submission to Marvin Vittori. That ended a two-fight win streak. Not only has he been submitted in all three of his losses, all three of those have come in the first round. This is someone who has pro kickboxing experience. He fought Jerome LeBanner in his pro debut, then he lost twice in glory. So 0-3 as a pro kickboxer, you would assume that with the kickboxing background, knockouts would be a specialty, but again, only two knockouts in his nine victories. And his last one came on Dana White's Contender Series back in 2017. Initially, Roberson had a fight scheduled for December. That was pulled after a positive COVID test. This is his first bout since then. Brendan Allen coming into this one at 25 years old, six foot two with a one inch reach advantage, giving him a 75 inch reach. Born in South Carolina, he comes into this weekend with a 15 and four record, eight of those wins by submission. He's lost four times, as mentioned, half of those. He's been finished in one knockout loss, one submission loss. His last bout, November 14th, a second round knockout at the hands of Sean Strickland. That was his first UFC loss and ended a seven-fight winning streak and was also the first time he had been stopped since his third pro fight. He's 3-1 and one 
in the Ultimate Fighting Championship, former two-time LFA middleweight champion, has been a pro since 2015. When you look at the odds, a lot of people buying what Brennan Allen is selling. Although, we've seen some of the movement coming in on Roberson's side. Allen opened as a minus 205 favorite. Now that's been bet down to around minus 155 in a number of different places, including betonline.ag and Caesars Palace. For Roberson, again, opens as a plus 175 underdog. That's down to around 135, seem, plus 135, sorry. That seems to be the consensus on this one. I like Allen in this fight. I understand that maybe... I don't like Allen to the point of it being a minus 205 favorite. That might be a little bit rich for my blood. But coming around around the, the minus 155 area, don't mind that one. I don't know if this is a guy who's going to have a championship belt around his waist at any point in the UFC, but certainly a prospect that I'm interested in. And Roberson, for me, kind of fits in more of the just a guy category. Um, so, could prove me wrong in this one, but uh, not not necessarily overly impressive what I've seen from Roberson so far. So, looking to see if Allen can, can, can continue his upward trajectory tomorrow night. In the welterweight division, Dwight Grant takes on Stefan Sikulic. Grant was scheduled to fight Li Jing Liang back December 12th, 2020, but tested positive for COVID. So now he steps in at 36 years old, born in New York, trains at Alliance MMA, 10-3 for the career, seven of those wins coming by knockout, one of those losses coming by knockout as well, and that was in his last bout at UFC on ESPN, August 22nd, 2020, a knockout loss to Daniel Rodriguez that ended a two-fight win streak and now has him at 2-2 two and two in the Ultimate Fighting Championship for Sekulic, 29 years old, born in Serbia, according to SureDog.com, trains at the Family Fight Team, which sounds lovely, 12-3 and three for the career, nine finishes, six of them by submission, he has been knocked out in 66% of his losses. His last bout came September 15th, 2018, a unanimous decision loss. That was his UFC debut, ends a two-fight winning streak, kind of had a, I don't want to say buzz, but there was a bit of talk about him anyway, and that gets halted rather quickly as he was suspended for two years coming off of a USADA anti-doping violation, uh, violation for a pair of anabolic steroids, because what? Why just one, right? So this is his first bout since coming off of that and people not necessarily buying it as he opens as a plus 250 favorite, a few bucks coming in on him. He's now down to plus 170. Dwight Grant opening as a minus 300 favorite. That's come down to around minus 205 to 220. I, I tend to go with the, the favorite on this one as well. I do think Sekulic is a, a live dog. And again, these are fist fights, so... You know, they're all live dogs. But I, I like Grant in this one. Two years away for Sekulic. Certainly will have something to prove. And any of your accomplishments that happened pre-drug test failure are certainly going to be looked at differently. I, I would imagine he looks to try to get that back on track tonight. If you're looking at an underdog pick, I don't hate him. But my official projection is Dwight now to the main event of the televised prelim portion, anyway, as Cowboy Alex Oliveira takes on Rude Boy Randy Brown in the welterweight division. This fight was originally scheduled for February 27th of this year, but Brown pulled out during fight week because of an undisclosed injury. They meet this weekend. Oliveira, 33 years old. He comes in at 5'11 with a 76 
inch reach that is two inches behind that of Rude Boy. 22, 9, and 1 with two no contests for the career. 12 wins by knockout, five by submission. He's only been stopped twice. One of those came at UFC 254 back in October of last year, where he lost by submission in the first round in a fight that he missed weight for. That ended a two-fight winning streak for him, both by decision. He has a reputation of being kind of a firefighter and a, a lot of crazy fights. That's how you get the nickname Cowboy, even though it's from bull riding days. He hasn't finished an opponent since 2018, so maybe this is just me holding on to something from a long time ago, but I don't know. Two and four in his last six fights, he's had a lot of stuff going on outside of the cage as well. I just don't know how much is left for Alex Oliveira. He's been in the UFC a long time, 11-7 and seven with two no contests in the Ultimate Fighting Championship, so... Interested to see what he comes with tonight against Rude Boy Brown, who is 30 years old, six foot three, again, a two-inch reach advantage, born in Queens. He trains at Budokan Martial Arts Academy. 12 and four for the career, six wins by knockout, four by submission. He's been stopped in three of his four losses, including back Ultimate Fight Night on August 1st, 2020, in a second-round loss to then 11th-ranked Vicente Luque. That ended a two-fight winning streak where he'd finished both. He hasn't been to a decision since 2017, which happened to be a unanimous decision win over Mickey Gall. Six and four in the UFC, and I liked what he was showing in that last fight against Vicente Luque until Luque kneed him into oblivion and then knocked him out with a pretty memorable one in the second round. But I like how Brown can use that lead left hand to his advantage. He was using it quite well, but he had to switch stances in that bout because of the leg kick game that Luque was bringing. And I would look for Oliveira to try to attack that way tonight. So much of Brown's offense comes from that lead left. He can throw it as a lead left hook that was seeming to, to find its mark can come up the middle as that jab as well. That's going to be a key for Brown in this fight. He fought pretty well when it got into the clinch as well against Vicente Luque, but again, ended horribly for him. Oliver's going to want to turn this one into a bit of a bar fight. I, I can see Brown keeping him at the end of that jab and, and just, I, I feel like Brown can brawl with Oliveira, and if this turns into a technical fight, Brown certainly has the edge there. The odds would back up what I am saying as Brown is a favorite. Uh, open at minus 145, coming in as high as minus 163. You can still get him at minus 145 at betonline.ag. For Oliveira, if you fancy the underdog, seeing him at plus 130 on Bodog and Betway. Again, Odds subject to change, but not one that has wild odds on this. I favor Randy Brown in this bout to, to kind of get back on track, and I wonder where that would leave Alex Oliveira's UFC career if he were to drop to 2-5 and five in his last seven bouts. That is going to do it for the TV prelims. We now go to the pay-per-view. This is a really fun, really exciting pay-per-view. It's the reason why... I don't want to say rushed, but it's the reason why I wanted to debut with the preview of this card. This main this main card, really, really exciting. You have Jimmy Crute taking on Anthony Smith in the light heavyweight division. Smith opening as a plus 170 underdog, and that is where that has stayed pretty well throughout. Crute at minus 200. Again, that's sticking around there. Crute was supposed to fight Jimmy Walker on UFC 2... Or, sorry, Johnny Walker at UFC 260, but Walker was hurt. Crute was moved to this fight tonight. Smith, his opponent, walks in at 32 years old, 6'4", born in Corpus Christi, Texas, training at Factory X. 
a long career, 34 and 16. He's been a pro since 2008. 18 knockout wins, 13 wins by submission, has been stopped 13 times in his 16 losses. His last fight, a submission win over Devin Clark back at the UFC on ESPN November 28th. That ended a two-fight losing streak, so he goes 1-2 and in 2020. He's 2-2 two and two since a loss to John Jones in a title fight for him back in 2019. For Crute, 25 years old, out of New South Wales, a 72-inch reach going into this bout this evening. Just 12-1 and on his young career. Five wins by knockout, four by submission. He was submitted in his one loss. His last bout, a knockout victory back in October of 2020. Back-to-back first-round finishes after a first-round loss to Misha Serkinov in Vancouver in 2019. This is a dude who it's very easy to study for because he's lost, or his last four fights have all ended in the first round. He's an alumni from Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. His fight there was his only fight in the States up until this point. I can't imagine that plays much of a factor. This is a big step up for him. And this is one of those guys back in the uh, mid to late 2000s, we kind of thought a lot about when you you thought about the evolution of this sport, where it's not going to just be guys who trained as wrestlers, guys who trained as strikers, guys who trained in Muay Thai, just guys who focused on one thing. This dude's been training mixed martial arts since he was 12 years old. Started karate at four, picked up judo at eight, Brazilian jiu-jitsu at 11, and then he was like, hey, I just put them all together. Started training MMA at the age of 12, made his pro debut at 19. He has ridiculous power. And I'm interested to see how he can handle a bit of the ground attack from Anthony Smith. We saw Smith get absolutely blitzed by Clark early in that fight back in November, but was able to handle it very well. Gets a body lock, gets a takedown. The fight never reaches the feet again. He ends up getting a submission win with a triangle. That is probably going to be how he will look to attack tonight. Although I can't imagine, or sorry, tomorrow night. Although I can't imagine... Jimmy Crute is going to be one who charges in recklessly. He he has a much more patient approach, much more calm, just takes the center of the octagon. Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna charge at you. I'm not backing up either. I think this could be a really fun fight. And I think this is a, a very big step up in competition for him. Smith, I, I do believe, is 32 years old, but th- there's a lot of wear and tear. And that, that that's a hard 32, as we would say. A pro since 2008, he's fought in Bellator and Strikeforce. And credit to Anthony Smith for the work that he has put in in his career. At one point, dude is 5-6. and six. Not a lot of guys go 5-6 and six and, they're f- and then find their way to the Ultimate Fighting Championship at all, let alone find their way into the cage with John Jones. But he goes on a 13-2 and two run, and it's that kind of dedication and that kind of work ethic that makes you think, even if things do seem to be going down the other side of the hill for Smith, at 32 years old, I do think there is still another resurgence in him. I just don't think it comes at the hands of Jimmy Crute. Again, Crute coming in as a minus 200 favorite. I like him. Probably get better odds if you, if you bet on the finish. I think he gets that done. Smith is very much a live underdog in this fight. I have a lot of respect for the skills of Anthony Smith. I just think this is Jimmy Crute's time. I, I think this is, I'm not going to say star-making night, but I think the next time Crute has a bout, it's probably against someone who has a number beside their name. I, I, 
I'm really excited to see what this kid can do again. Just 25 years old coming into this one in the light heavyweight division. Uh, a couple of older vets doing battle at 185 pounds as Uriah Hall takes on Chris Weidman. This fight was supposed to happen back at UFC 258. Weidman tests positive for COVID. This is a rematch. You have to go back a very long time, but this is a rematch from about at Ring of Combat in 2010. Weidman beat Hall to hand him his first professional loss. Now, 11 years later, Hall comes into this fight at 36 years old, standing six feet tall, born in Jamaica. He enters with a 79 and a half inch reach, 16 and nine for the career, 12 wins by knockout, one win by submission, four knockout losses on his resume. His last bout, Chipped away at any positive memories I had from childhood as he knocked out Anderson Silva in the fourth round back on Halloween of 2020. That part of a three-fight win streak, he has won four of his last five since a three-fight losing streak in 2016. For Weidman, the former middleweight champion, comes in at 36 years old, born in New York, trains at Sarah Longo, 15-5 for the career, 10 finishes, 6 by knockout. He has been knocked out himself in all 5 of his losses. A very important win in his last fight by unanimous decision over Omari Akhmadov, August 8th of 2020. That was his return to middleweight after a loss at 205 pounds. It ended a 2-fight losing streak. I said before, former middleweight champion, defended it 3 times. The resume looks pristine until you get to the part where he loses it. And he is now 2-4 and four since losing the middleweight championship. Again, cannot stress enough how important that last win was for him. And cannot stress enough how important this fight is for him tonight. I don't think either of these guys gets cut. Well, certainly not Hall. He's riding quite a bit of momentum. I don't think Weidman gets cut. At this point, I don't think Weidman gets cut ever. But in terms of trying to stay relevant in the middleweight division, needs this win tonight. The former Division I All-American wrestler, I think, needs to put that wrestling to the test. For Hall, the story with him has been equal parts familiar as it's been frustrating. Someone who you see the clear talent is there. This is obviously a very skilled human being in the art of kicking people in the head. The knockout on the Ultimate Fighter series is one of the most spectacular things you will ever see. However, you go to the finale of that series and there's an obvious hesitancy to pull the trigger. And that has been the main holdup. And you can clearly see this is someone who is good at fighting, but has, uh, I think, a bit of a almost moral conundrum with it. That knockout on the Ultimate Fighter show that will live forever in highlight reels... I do think it had a bit of an effect on him. He he was not overjoyed by that. He does the the bit of a huh, celebration after, but aside from that, he he seemed very almost sad. And then he knocks out Anderson Silva in a very underwhelming fight and is crying and apologizing after. That this is someone who understands the competitiveness of this sport, but also has an understanding of what he's doing to the other human being across the cage from him. And I do think, while that is absolutely admirable from a human being standpoint, it sounds very callous to say, I do think that holds him back. That fight with Anderson, Shil with Anderson Silva should not have gone four rounds. And it certainly shouldn't have gone to the fourth round with Anderson Silva leading two rounds to one, but that's where I had it on my scorecard, and that's where most people on social media had it as well. Uriah Hall, when he is going, and when he 
is just throwing it down. This is a guy who is one of the most dangerous strikers on God's green earth. You just don't know when he is going to pull that trigger. Anderson Silva does a lot of the fancy stuff, and at 45 years old, that this is not Anderson Silva in his prime, and he was still, I don't want to say confusing Hall, but he was still giving Hall some problems. I think if Weidman is able to get in his face with that grappling game plan, with that wrestling strategy, this is going to be a big night for Weidman. This is why this fight is so difficult to predict, because Uriah Hall could give us a highlight reel for a lifetime, or Chris Weidman could grind this one out for 15 minutes and we just move on to the title fights after a relatively underwhelming fight. That's why you see the odds so close. Hall opened at a minus 135 favorite. That's now been bet down to the point where he is a plus 110 underdog at Caesars Palace and at Betway. Weidman opened as a plus 115 favorite, or sorry, plus 115 underdog. He is now up to as high as minus 138 at Betway. If we're looking for the best odds on him, that would be minus 125 at Bodog and betonline.ag as of Friday afternoon. I'm, I'm going to go with Weidman here. Hall, Hall is too difficult to predict. Weidman has fought dangerous strikers like this before. I think that wrestling game plan is going to give Uriah Hall a lot of issues. The one thing I would caution about picking Hall in this fight, or uh, picking against Hall in this fight, sorry. If he's down 2 nothing going into that third round... I think that you're going to see a bit more urgency from him. And when that comes, the violence comes. This could be a, a pretty violent finish if Uriah Hall finds himself down on the scorecards. If you wanted to get super particular, a Hall third round knockout, I don't think that's the worst way to go in terms of a prediction. If you're picking Uriah Hall, just go the extra way and pick it by knockout. I have no problem going with Weidman or going Weidman by decision. We now head into the first of three championship bouts on this card as Valentina Shevchenko defends the women's flyweight championship, hoping to for a fifth time as she takes on uh, former strawweight champion Jessica Andrade. Shevchenko, the champion, coming in at 33 years old with a 66.5-inch reach. That's a 4.5-inch reach advantage, although standing at just 5'5", five five, she is 20-3 and three for the career. Her losses, twice to Amanda Nunes, once to Liz Carmouche. Her wins, six by knockout, six by submission. The rest by decision, which includes a November 21st bout against Jennifer Maya, in which she won by unanimous decision. She is 6-0 since a return to flyweight training at Tiger Muay Thai. The opponent, Jessica Andrade, 29 years old, standing at 5'1", with a 62-inch reach, 21-8 for her MMA career, 15 of those wins she has stopped, eight of those she's done so by knockout, she has been finished five times in her career, three by KO, so two by submission. She got back in the win column in her flyweight debut with a knockout victory over Caitlin Chukagian back on October 18th of 2020. That ended a two-fight losing streak. It was a loss in her title defense against Zhang Wei Li, and then in her rematch with Rose Namajunas. Still, though, a former champion, her last three wins have all come by way of knockout, including, as I mentioned, that last about... A very impressive finish over the, at the time, number one contender in the women's flyweight division. You know the game plan for Andrade. She has been called the female Vanderlei Silva. She wants a fight to look like that. She is going to come in. She is going to throw with ridiculous amounts of power. She has won fights by way, she has won championships by way of slam before. This is someone who is very physically strong, who technically is quite strong as well. However, 
you are going in there with a different animal against Valentina Shevchenko. The fine folks who put money on these sorts of things would agree with that last statement. Opening as a minus 376 favorite, Valentina Shevchenko has now been bet to the point where at some places she's as high as minus 500 as a favorite. The best number seeing so far is from Betway at minus 400. So if you're like Andrade, you could be compensated rather well for that as she is as high as minus 400 at Westgate in Vegas for those online. Plus 350 seems to be pretty well consensus among the shops. Again, this as of Friday afternoon. I, I do feel like this fight is going to look a lot like Andrade's most recent bout with Rose Namajunas. Obviously, she bounces back from that fight with a victory. I just feel like the reach advantage from Shevchenko is going to be too much for Andrade to overcome. She was able to get inside and finish things off with a, a fantastic body shot knockout against Caitlin Chukagian. And when she does get inside, she's going to have to take advantage. But Chukagian is not Shevchenko. Very few hum human beings on this planet, when it comes to being a striker, are Shevchenko. I think Shevchenko is going to keep this fight at distance, keep her at the end of her jab, and try to pick her apart from distance. Andrade has incredible power and can change this fight around with one shot, but I think Shevchenko is going to be smart enough to be able to keep this fight at distance. She didn't in her last fight against Jennifer Maya, and if you're Jessica Andrade, there are a couple of things in there they point out on the broadcast. Shevchenko exits every exchange the same way with a bit of a duck to the right. If Andrade times that perfectly, then we have a gigantic upset and we have a new champion at women's flyweight. I just don't see that happening. I, I think Shevchenko is going to be able to use her reach. And I mentioned the Maya fight. The reason it became a bit more of a close quarters battle is because that's where Shevchenko took that fight. In every fight that's been against someone not named Amanda Nunes, Shevchenko has done very well at dictating where the fight goes. She is incredibly, incredibly powerful, and I think a bit more technically sound than Jessica Andrade is. That's why I like Shevchenko in this fight. I think by knockout, I, I kind of want to go decision on this one. Um, if you're looking for a, a wagering edge, maybe just look at whichever one gets you the best odds, because it, for me, it is kind of six to one, half a dozen to the other. I could see her not necessarily cardio kickboxing, but something along those lines and just keeping Andrade at bay for a lot of this fight. But we have seen some of that piston-like power from Shevchenko before. She could put it a wrap on this one. Again, Andrade has been knocked out in her career before, but damn it is tough to put her away. The official prediction, though, is Shevchenko by decision. That will be the first title fight on the card, the second also in the women's division in strawweight as Zhang Weili defends her title against Rose Namajunas for Zhang, 31 years old, coming in with a 63-inch reach advantage on her 5'4 frame, 21-1 and for the MMA career with 10 of those wins coming by way of knockout, seven by submission, she was submitted in her only loss. She is coming off of one of the best fights you will ever see in your life at UFC 248, a split decision win against Joanna Janjacek that had Janjacek probably unable to use facial recognition on her phone for a while as she absolutely pieced her up. That was her first title defense after winning the belt from Jessica Andrade back on August 2019. She trains at Black Tiger Fight Club. She is the first ever Chinese champion in UFC history, which would explain why you saw an influx of Chinese fighters on the undercard. 
That fight against Yuani and Jacek is absolutely a life changer, and we will see how she handles that because it is not an easy task when she goes up against Rose Namajunas, 28 years old, five foot five with a 65 inch reach, uh, nine and four on the career. One knockout win, five by submission. She has been stopped twice in her career, coming off of a split decision win over Jessica Andrade back uh, UFC 251, July 12th, 2020. That win gets her loss back from Andrade after Jessica took her strawweight title in 2019. Even with that loss, Rose has, lo has won four of her last five. Thug Rose, seven and three in the UFC former women's strawweight champion, most submission wins in strawweight division history. This is going to be an absolute classic, I believe. Nami Yunus, one of my absolute favorite fighters to watch. Her distance control is masterful. I think it was, was it Meryl Streep who did the mixed martial arts are not actual arts or whatever the hell that was. Um, she's clearly never watched Rose Nami Yunus fight because what Rose Nami Yunus does is freaking art. The, the distance control she was able to show in her split decision win over Jessica Andrade was masterful. Andrade does end up getting to, to piece her up a little bit and the, the nose starts to leak toward the end of the bout, but that's going to happen when you fight someone as powerful and as explosive as Jessica Andrade. When Rose Namajunas is at the top of her game, literally and figuratively, no one can touch her. It is clear Zhang is no easy task. She has established herself with... Uh, couple of very big wins in title fights, but I, I just think Rose is on a different level, and she kind of got away from that for a little bit. If her mind is into this, and she has been very vocal about some mental health challenges, and I have been very vocal um, about the understanding, a different platform of course, but about the understanding that it does not matter how successful you are, those can pop up at any time, and if that pops up on Saturday, it's going to be a very difficult night for her. But when she is at the top of her game, no one can beat her. I, I can't predict how that is going to go, so I will only assume we are getting best on best. The best Rose Namajunas beats the best Zhang Wei Li. Uh, unless you give Rose a baseball bat, I don't think you're taking out Zhang after the, the fight that she just endured with Joanna and Jacek. But endure is a key word there, as I give myself credit for word choice. But... We have seen a number of times fighters go into those types of fights, those absolute classics that we thank them so much for, they do not exit them the same. We have seen a number of occasions. Rory McDonald, I don't think, still has recovered from his fights against Robbie Lawler. The Junior Dos Santos, Cain Velasquez classics took years off of both of those fighters, not only their careers, but also their primes as well. It doesn't just shorten your career, it shortens everything. The, the time where you are at the peak, all of a sudden that comes down. I wonder how much that fight changes Zhang Wei Li. I will be fascinated to see what her level is, or where her level is at, going into this fight against Rose Namajunas. Regardless of, I think, Thug Rose becomes a, a two-time strawweight champion this weekend. And that brings us to the main event of the evening. In the welterweight division, the championship is on the line as Kamaru Usman takes on Jorge Masvidal. Usman, the welterweight champion at 33 years old, the first Nigerian-born champion in UFC history. He has a 76-inch reach on a 6-foot 
even body. 18-1 for the career he was submitted in his only loss. He has finished half of his career victories. One of those finishes came in the third round of his last bout at UFC 258 against Gilbert Burns. Dude is on a 17-fight win streak. He was 1-0 and then lost and hasn't done the losing thing since. He's won all 13 of his fights in the octagon. That is the longest welterweight winning streak in UFC history. When you're passing George St. Pierre, you are doing something right. One of those victories came against Jorge Masvidal. It was on six days notice back on UFC 251. That was the last time Masvidal stepped into the cage. He is now 36 years old. He will have the hometown edge in Florida this weekend at 5'11". Masvidal entering this one 35-14 and 14 for the professional record. Undisclosed what the record is out on them streets as that's where Masvidal got his start. 16 knockout wins, a couple by submission. He has been stopped twice in 14 losses. The loss against Usman has ended a career-altering three-fight win streak that saw him beat Darren Till, Ben Askren, and Nate Diaz. Masvidal has been in the Ultimate Fighting Championship since 2013, beating Tim Means in his UFC debut. 11-7 in his UFC career. If you want to yell at a boxing fan for a while or a boxing promoter, this is someone who proves that losses don't mean shit. The the boxing model of one loss and it completely ruins your career. Again, homie's lost 14 times and is now one of the biggest stars. Uh, the BMF title not on the line in this fight tonight. This is someone who's had a late career resurgence. He was the breakthrough fighter of the year winner for MMA Junkie back in 2019. The knockout over Ben Askren sent him to another level and then almost literally punched Nate Diaz's face off in their BMF title fight a couple of years ago. He has not been finished in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. The last time he was finished was by Toby Amada by one of the more famous submissions in Bellator, and one of the first real highlights in Bellator back in 2009, that inverted triangle. So this is not a guy who gets put away easily. There is a lot of miles on this, but if you are Kamaru Usman, you cannot be banking on that. I would imagine this fight goes the full 25 minutes, much like it did back when these two stepped into the octagon at UFC 251. As far as the odds go for this bout, Kamaru Usman opening as a minus 361 favorite, and it has not cooled with some places as high as minus 460. Masvidal, if you like him, you can be rewarded for it as he is plus 285 underdog. Uh, that was to open. He's still at plus 285 at Bodog, but some places have him as high as minus, or as high, sorry, as plus 350. If you are a Masvidal supporter and someone who is backing him at that plus 350 this weekend, the the reasoning you would give is, well, he only took that fight on six days notice and clearly wore down. Both of those are true. I don't think they are linked. I think Kamara Usman does that to Jorge Masvidal regardless of the time between fights or the, the, the camp given for Jorge Masvidal. Usman is just on another level when it comes to that. I, I do think this fight looks a lot like their fight did back at UFC 251. I think Usman has a bit of issue at distance with Masvidal, and that is 
where the edge for Masvidal can come is certainly in the stand-up department. He is miles ahead of Kamaru Usman, but Usman is better than almost anyone at just getting inside and turning this into an absolute grind of a fight. I don't care if Masvidal has six days or six months to get ready for this fight. That edge is always going to be there for Kamaru Usman. Maybe it doesn't wear on Masvidal as much, and he has a chance to get a big strike later in this fight that just wasn't there in the first one because the cardio wasn't necessarily where it needed to be, but that fight is the absolute perfect game plan for Kamaru Usman to fight Jorge Masvidal at, and I think that's what we see. I don't think we get a finish. I can't imagine Masvidal getting finished for the first time in a very, very long time, but I, I do think that this is going to be a grinded out decision for Kamaro Usman, and one that puts his stamp as one of the best in welterweight history. This is someone who is building up quite the resume. Again, 13 fight winning streak in the UFC. Starting to get some names on there. That This would be one of the biggest ones. Tyron Woodley, probably the biggest one. But th this would be a, a very big feather in the cap for Kamaru Usman. He has a long way to go in terms of the names to beat a George St. Pierre. I don't think he ever will get to that point of beating a George St. Pierre. But this is someone who is putting an absolute stamp on his legacy in the welterweight division. And I think that's going to be the main talking point coming out of this show is Kamaru Usman, another dominant performance at welterweight. And we will be asking the questions, who can stop this guy? Because quite frankly, we're starting to run out of answers for that. Now that it seems like a dream fight with Khabib is not going to happen on anywhere but UFC 4, I wonder what is next for Kamara Mus uh, for Kamara Usman coming out of this one. He strikes me as a champion who is just going to want to fight whoever is the number one contender. Just bring him in and I will knock him down. But I, I wonder if this fight goes the way I, I imagine it will. What What is next in the welterweight division for Kamara Usman? That is your UFC 262 breakdown going to be doing this for every UFC card, but for the big cards, we're going to be doing them on Friday here on Couch Potato Diary. If you liked what you heard, leave us a review. Uh, even if you didn't, I, I want to know what to get better at. I I'm coming from a format where I got live feedback all the time, and while, quite frankly, it's been quite nice to not have a text line uh, critiquing everything I say while I am saying it, I am certainly not above feedback. So any... Any thoughts that you have on the show, either send them my way on Twitter. I'm at Primetime Klein. I'm the same on Instagram, at Primetime Klein. You can leave a review. One star, five stars, whatever you want, whatever you feel. Just let me know how we're doing. We're going to be pumping out quite a bit of content on this channel. So absolutely subscribe. Coming up Saturday after the fight. It's going to be live tweeting during after the fights. Probably going to come on Twitch break things down, maybe play a little bit of N64. We'll see how that all goes, but follow me on Twitter for all of that. Again, thank you to Wasted Talent for the beats for this show, this song, The Old Me. Check them out. Some real, real good stuff coming from those Calgary boys. You can follow their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. That's it. Enjoy the fights. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys on Saturday night, and if you're not hanging around on Twitch for that, bit of a recap and more sportsy type content coming up on Monday. This is Couch Potato Diary, and we're out.